For our scripture reading this morning, we'll continue in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll read 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This far the reading of God's holy word. And this morning we will continue on the first section of this chapter, considering the wives. And last week we focused on the first two verses and considered what it meant to submit to the husband under the Lord within the word and will of God for the purpose that their husbands also would come to know the Lord. And today we will continue with verses 3 through 6 as we consider the conduct of husband and wife. Now you remember that Peter is writing here during the time of the Roman Empire where when we consider the slaves, we saw the slaves had no rights under their masters And in a similar way, the wives also had no rights in those times. They were considered uh, under under their master, under their husband, and had not much say. And so we can see that throughout history, Christianity has given much to to the women and to the the families and the marriages in this world to, to give them the respect and the true freedom that God has intended for wives to have so that both husband and wife can flourish in, in their respective roles in marriage. 
And so here in this chapter, Peter, and in the last chapter, Peter is specifically speaking to Christians who find themselves in, in, in a, a situation or a, a place where they are oppressed by unbelievers. And here it is wives who are now in a relationship and a marriage with an unbelieving husband. They both they got married when they're unbelievers, most likely, and she had been saved under their preaching. The Bible does strictly forbid for Christians to marry an unbeliever, so it's not a position that you'd voluntarily put yourself in. But if, we become, but if she became a Christian after she was married, and now the question is how can she live to serve God and at the same time remain faithful to her husband to respect him as the head of the house and as the leader of the family. And so that's what Peter began in verse 1 where he said, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, the husbands were resistant to the gospel, they did not obey the word. And then he says, they without a word, without continually um, speaking to him about it, they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So Peter is saying that the, that the life of the wife, the conduct of the wife, had to demonstrate the grace of God in her, which would then also cause the husband to consider more the words he has heard in the past about the gospel and about the, the life-changing grace that God gives to his people, and that it would also draw him to the Lord. And last time we considered what that meant by submission then to her husband. And as Peter has been addressing us here in these past chapters, we see that the most difficult thing for any Christian is to control those sinful passions that come out of our hearts when we react to something, especially something that is against our will or something that is seen as oppressing us. What The natural thing that comes out of our hearts is, is those sinful, selfish passions. And that's why he said in in verse, chapter 2, verse 11, that we have to abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against our soul. In the beginning of chapter 2, in verse 1, he said we have to lay aside these passions, these sinful reactions. And so, keeping that in mind here, as the wife now finds herself in a situation with an unbelieving husband, how does she react? How does she live that her godly conduct and life may be seen by the husband because wives are in such a unique position. They have a unique opportunity to influence her husband for good, for the Lord. And so we consider that again under the theme of Christian submission to husbands, Christian wives uh, to their husbands. And then in the first place, we'll consider, as Peter shows here, that godly submission is not produced by the outward appearance. Godly submission is not an external thing, or not only. It's not produced by an outward appearance. In verse 3, he says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. When you consider of how the world tries to win people over to their side. It's, it's done by the externals. It's, it's, it's a lot different in how a person, how a Christian is to win someone else to Christ. If you think of Proverbs, Proverbs also compares 
two women, two, uh, an analogy of two women. The one is the foolish woman, the foolish woman who flatters with her lips, who dresses provocatively, who is loud and who is rebellious, and she tries to allure with her looks, with her fluttering eyelids. Her aim is to attract a man to herself. It has selfish intentions. It has worldly intentions. But then, in contrast with that, there is the wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom that points to Christ, who, that speaks to truth, that, that leads in the way of life, that leads with the words of life, and the aim is always to lead to Christ. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the, Peter is saying here that the purpose or the goal for the wives is not merely to attract a husband to themselves with an outward display, but ultimately to lead the husband to Christ. Because the problem here is that the husband is an unbeliever. And so godly submission, he says, is not achieved by outward appearance. But it does show that the way we dress, our outward appearance should be it should resemble what is in her heart. It should resemble who you are as a child of God. It should resemble what your purpose in this life is to glorify God. And so Peter is making that comparison here in chapter 3. And so he's not, he's not prohibiting women from wearing nice clothing or doing their hair. But at the same time, he's not saying that women should walk around in, in shabby clothing or unkempt. It doesn't mean we have to dress down now to, to, to match the unbeliever, so to speak. It goes also for church. But the outward appearance has its place. It has its importance. But Peter is emphasizing here that if, if we have the tendency to put so much emphasis on the outward in this world the outward that so quickly fades, how much more important is it, is the inward beauty that does not fade and perish? How much more important is the inward beauty of the grace of God in the heart that lasts forever? And so Peter here is warning them, them about the excess, the external extravagance. And wealthy ladies like to dress up with with expensive clothing or use elaborate ornaments. And you can see that even today and all through history. And there apparently they would braid their, braid their hair up and wear a lot of golden ornaments in their hair. They'd wear a fancy clothing. There'd even be competition to see who had the most or the best. And they'd have gold and jewelry dangling off their arms and legs and necks and wherever. And Peter is saying this, this extravagance, this artificial glamour is forbidden for Christians. It's not what is called for. And today many people also try to follow the fashions of the world, whatever that may be today. But you realize that if you go to a store, they can also dress up those mannequins in the same way. You dress up a mannequin with all that outward appearance, but their heart is dead. And if our heart is as cold as a mannequin, our marriage is in trouble. But Peter is saying that instead of the outward display that the world considers attractive, instead of that visible appearance to draw attention to yourself, he says, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Because in our culture, it seems with so much 
emphasis on the external. The, it seems like the easiest thing to do is to draw attention by the external appearance, to draw for women, to draw attention from men by how they look and what they wear. But he says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, the hidden beauty, the character of the regenerated heart is what should draw the attention of your husband. And that character and that beauty, that, that life of the heart is often hidden from the eyes of most people in this world. It's often not seen. And even though how a woman, how a woman dresses outwardly says something about you and the first thing people see is your appearance and your immediate conduct, whether that's extravagant clothing or immodest clothing. In those days, apparently, it was too much clothing. Today, I, I would say the, we're on the opposite extreme of not enough clothing most of the time, displaying to the world what the world does not need to see. But Peter says, let it rather be the hidden person of the heart. And again, it does not mean that we neglect our outward appearance, because even it said of Job that his daughters were the fairest in all the country. We can read of Esther, how she was chosen to come before the king. But when she came before the king, when the king was trying to choose a new wife, it says she did not add any extra jewelry or ornaments other than what she had been advised by her, the director there. It says she requested nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised. So Esther did not try to add anything extra to make herself more appealing to the king. And that should be our conduct as well. We should not put on anything extra to try and make ourselves more attractive to others. But then secondly, more specifically, God, godly submission is produced in the heart. Godly submission is produced in the heart. Verse 4 says, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter first said, lay off, put aside the clothing of, in verse 11, or verse 1, sorry, lay aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Right? Lay off those evil works. And now he's saying what you need to put on, the priority, the arranging, it needs to be the the hidden beauty of the heart, the grace in the heart, that incorruptible beauty that doesn't fade away, that gentle and a quiet spirit. The reason we spend so much time on our outward appearance, we know, is because it, it fades away so quickly. Hairstyles and ornaments can change so often, and some people can't make it through the day without changing it two or three times. But the hidden person of the heart only improves. It doesn't lose its beauty. It never goes out of style. And it's suitable for every occasion. But clothes wear out and the hairstyles messes up. But the inner beauty stays tidy even in the strongest of storms and winds. And so this gentle and quiet spirit is really the opposite of what we see in our world. The opposite of the feminist movement. The opposite of a rebellious and a contentious woman the opposite of a combative wife or a flirtatious wife. And God even warns men from that. He says in verse 6, Keep your eye from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her 
allure you with her eyelids. So that should never be the goal of a woman to draw men's attention with, with that because God warns us a, a, away from that. But Peter says, but a gentle and a quiet spirit. And that's what our sinful heart resists, and that's how we have to put away the sins of the heart. But gentleness, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's meekness, it's humility. This word is not used often in Scripture, but half the time it's used to describe Jesus. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying he's calling these Christian women to be like Christ to become like Christ who is gentle in heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't this then emphasize this call that Jesus makes when he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, this gospel call that Jesus gives there in Matthew is directed to those who are trying to please God by, the, by their outward works, by trying to keep the law. They're trying to, in a way, adorn themselves by trying to keep the law. It's an outward adorning of their life. It's like living like a Pharisee whose, whose lives look good on the outside, who looked clean, who looked respectable, and it looks like they have everything perfectly in order. And other people looked up to them as the model of what the, the Jews were supposed to be. But Jesus pointed out that their hearts were corrupt. And he says, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. He says, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may also be clean. And in a similar way, Jesus is calling wives and husbands to be like himself, to come and to learn from him. Because we can be just like the Pharisee in our marriage as well. It can appear like we have it all together. And that, we, that you are the model wife. That your clothes are prim and proper, your hair done just right, and you smile at the right times. And, but it's merely an external adorning. And seeking to please the husband by doing what is expected or trying to win her, his favor by external conformity. But inside there is still that deadness, a coldness like a mannequin. And so this is what Peter is saying, let it rather be the hidden person of the heart. First wash the inside of the cup so that the outside can be clean too. And so Christ calls us to submit to him and to, to God's ways. And if you think of these women of the current trial that they were under, they were living in a marriage with an unbelieving husband who did not want to hear the truth, who plugs his ears to the gospel and where he lives for the world instead of for God. And it could be that the husband is demanding in his ways or your own husband could be demanding or not a godly leader or not a provider or not showing the care and attention that is, to his family is required. But Jesus says to the wives, then come unto me. Live out the gospel by his grace. Because this is not a role that you can fulfill in your own strength, not by 
You can't fulfill it by trying to adorn the outside, by living an artificial life. You can't please the flesh. And outward conformity might, might temporarily uh, pacify the demands of an ungodly husband, but it won't change his ways. It won't change his heart. That's not how God designed marriage. And it often turns into manipulation. It turns into, into trying to control one another, trying to use one another, envying one another. But here Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Your rest and peace is found not in trying to, to please a husband by external ways, worldly ways, but by seeking to please God with internal conformity to Him. By grace, through faith, seeking to do what is right in the sight of God. Gentleness comes by the grace of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And then the second word Peter uses is a quiet spirit. It means a tranquil spirit. It does not mean that she's easily run over by the husband, by a self-interested husband. It doesn't mean that she simply sits and has to endure what the husband dishes out. But a meek and a quiet spirit has an inner peace a tranquility, a heart that trusts in God even in the most adverse situation. And he says you will find rest for your soul. There's peace with God. Because then thirdly, our third thought is the reward of a submissive character. The reward of a submissive character, he says, which is very precious in the sight of God. This kind of spirit is very, of very great worth in the sight of God. And you think of that, that word, of very great worth, very precious. You think of the woman who came up to the Lord Jesus and dumped that whole bottle of precious ointment on, on the Lord Jesus. And the, even the disciple thought, what a waste that is to, to, to pour it over the Lord Jesus. It's very precious. And Paul uses the same word in 1 Timothy 2 to describe the expensive clothing when he was instructing women how to, address, how to dress in church. Paul says women ought to adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety, with a, with a, mon, a, modest, a humble modesty, with a moderation, with a discretion of what they wear, not with braided hair and not with costly clothing but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So again, Paul and Peter both warn against excessive uh, clothing, excessive uh, costliness in, in, to dress up for the outward appearance. And so the way that a woman dresses, especially when coming to the public worship of God, must be with modesty, must be with godly humility and meekness and moderation. Avoiding those extremes, avoiding the extreme of very expensive, trying to draw attention to ourselves, and avoiding the other extreme of careless and immodest apparel. And Paul has the same conclusion in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. He says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. So he's showing that there's a similar authority structure that God has created in this world, that there is the authority of the, the husband over the wife and also the, the church 
leaders over the women. And so these are the two spheres where women are called to submit to men in, their, in those respective spheres. But outside of those spheres, women also have the ability to lead, to lead in certain aspects. And this is something that's strongly opposed in our world today, and also even more and more in the church we see. As churches drift further from the Lord, and as our culture drifts further from the Lord, this is resisted more and more. It shows the natural enmity coming out of the heart against the Lord and His creation order. But Peter says this kind of a spirit is very precious in the sight of the Lord. Do you notice again that Peter uses a play on words here? Because the outward adorning, the outward appearance is used to draw the eyes, to draw the attention of men. Because the world places such a high value on the outward, the expensive, the houses, the clothing, the cars, and vacations. But it's the beauty of the heart that draws the eyes of the Lord, that draws the attention of God. It's precious in the sight of God. It's because the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so the outward is a reflection of what our heart is like. And God places a high value on the gentle and the quiet heart that He sees. He places a high value on His created order and structure. And it is with Him that you can find peace for your heart. And so we need to ask ourselves, why do we dress in a way that we do? What is the purpose, whether we dress extravagantly or oppositely, immodestly? What what is the purpose of how we dress? What are we trying to show the world or others or God? Who are we trying to please? So we cannot change another person's heart, even if it's someone as close as a spouse. But we're called to first clean the inside of our own heart by the grace of God, through His Word and Spirit, so that the outside also may be clean. And when the outside becomes clean, Peter is showing here that the outsider will reflect what is on the inside. It's by your life, by your conduct, that he says that the wives have an influence upon their husband when they observe your chaste conduct, and and they also can be one to Christ. And then lastly, fourthly, we see the example of a submissive wife that Peter uses from the Old Testament. In verse 5, he says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women also trusted, who, who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. These women in the Old Testament who are given to us as godly examples. They trusted in God. They adorned themselves with a meek and a quiet spirit in the fear of the Lord. And they did so, it says, by being submissive to their own husbands, by recognizing the authority that God had placed in their life. And so this is the example that Peter is drawing on us for us. He says, Abraham's wife Sarah 
obeyed Abraham, even calling him Lord. That was, that was the custom in those days where they would refer to their, to their husband to show respect to their husband for the, for the higher authority. They would call him master, master of the house or Lord. But our culture is different today. We don't need to call people master or Lord in that sense, especially not wives and husbands. But the principle is still there. The husband and wife must address each other with mutual respect for their God-given place and role in marriage. And that's what it comes down to. It's, it's respect for what God has given. It's acknowledging where God has placed His authority. And so when we speak to each other, we have to be careful how we speak, what tones we use, what words we use. Because a marriage is not a power struggle. A marriage is a union between husband and wife to work together for the glory of God. And so there should not be that disrespectful arguing or language or tones or cutting comments, cutting each other down. That is not submitting, but that's vying for power and control. And the same goes for the husband. Authority is not domination. It's not to get things your way, but it's, it's the responsibility of godly leadership with a loving and tender care for your wife and family. And so Peter says, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror, if you do not give way to fear. Christian wives here are called the daughters of Sarah, just like believers are called the children of Abraham. And so again, in this context, if the husband does not want them to be Christians, the wives must still respect their husbands and not be fearful, believing that God will also be their helper. And so if we think of a few clothing applications again, that if these women who lived in such adverse circumstances were called to godly obedience under their husbands and to loving submission to their husbands within the will of God under these trying circumstances, how much more must Christian wives now be faithful and diligent in submitting to your husbands in the fear of the Lord in a culture where we have the freedom, where we have the education to do so? So we don't use our, our freedom to break out of our God-given role as, as wife, or, but to glorify God with a godly submission, with a recognition of where God has placed us, and trusting ourselves to the care of our husband wholeheartedly. And if they are unbelievers, if they're not walking in the ways of the Lord, if they're not living as they ought to be, Wives are called to submit even more graciously to them because you love them. And you must certainly love their soul. And so submit so that they may see your good works, your, your, your chaste conduct, and pray that they also would be won over to the gospel, that you would be a living example in the home. Pray that they would see the gentleness of Christ being formed in you. And so if your husband is not a godly leader, still submit to their role as a husband and encourage them to lead, to lead the family in the way of the Lord. 
If they're not leading you in Bible study or in Bible reading or in family devotions or in church attendance, encourage them. Encourage them to do their God-given responsibility and set the example by your, your desire to serve God both in the public and the private worship services with the purpose that Peter began, as we saw last week, with the purpose so that they may be one to Christ by your conduct. And the same would go for others around you. As Peter, he also spoke earlier of obeying, submitting to God so that the Gentiles around us may see. It's a question we have to ask ourselves as we live in our own families. If the world looks on and sees us as a husband and a wife or as a family, are we leading others to Christ by our life, by our conduct? Or do you make people say, what difference is a Christian? Why would I want to become a Christian if I see no difference in that, in their family or their life? And so let us submit ourselves to God and into the place where God has, has given us to be, that we may lead one another to the Lord by our life and conduct, by the grace and spirit of the Lord. Amen.